Hi, everyone. This is Dyer with Northwest Nerd with another special summer podcast. This time, I have an interview with Garib Seamus, head of Ace Universe. Now, I actually wasn't going to publish this interview this summer. I generally wait until the next season is up and running, and then I release all my interviews then. But I actually really liked talking with Garib. So much that I kind of went well beyond the 10 minutes that I told his people I was going to take. And I really didn't want to cut any of it up. So, Garib Seamus. His list of titles is extensive. He started Wizard Magazine back in the day, and that evolved into Wizard Entertainment, which is behind all those Wizard World conventions that you may have heard about. Then he became a painter, which is a whole other story, and now... He is founder and CEO of Ace, which is relatively new on the Comic-Con block, yet it has still experienced a bit of instant success and quite a bit of growth for being less than two years old. And I must admit that it is a bit different than other pop culture conventions out there. There does seem to be a bit of a difference, which we do get into. But first, I wanted to hear all about how he started down this career path. The way I started was actually in college. It was back in the mid to late 80s, and I worked for a school, my school newspaper, and it was twice weekly, nonprofit. And what happened was uh, we did so well, um, and I was selling advertising, that we wound up going completely desktop with the magazine. So back in the mid to late 80s, when the Apple was just starting up with their computers and desktop publishing and laser printers, and not only did I sell the ads, but then I liked making them. So I became very proficient on the Mac computers when they first came out. So when I graduated college, I, I couldn't get a job. So I worked for my mom at the comic book store. And I had a Mac computer and I had a photocopy machine and wanted to write about all the things that were coming out. And I felt like the price guide that was there didn't really focus on the new stuff and what was going on with that. So basically just wanted to do a newsletter for the customers. And so the guy who ran the comic books for the store uh, worked with me and the customers would write articles for us and we would just uh, put the whole thing together. And um, so basically uh, the newsletter did so well and drove so much interest in the comic book sales that eventually I decided to turn that into a magazine. And that was a pretty uh, important magazine for my childhood, I got to say. This came right around the time, a few years ahead of time, before Superman died and then came back. I was there issue after issue. I think at one point you guys were putting these out weekly, which is, uh, I, I come from newspapers and magazines and publishing. That is, a, is a, just a headache of a task for me. I mean, what exactly was that for you? Were you doing this all by yourself? Did you eventually grow this to a you know, profitable staffed business? Um, yeah, so basically what happened was Wizard Magazine, it grew from uh, just a newsletter that I had started for the store to ultimately becoming a magazine, and we were monthly with the magazine. But then we started a toy magazine, a gaming magazine, uh, an, an anime manga magazine. So we were putting out a magazine literally every week out of the place. And that's when the staff really grew from just a few of us out of my parents' house uh, into almost 100 people you know, in the offices. Um, and then we had literally hundreds of freelancers and people that we worked with outside the company, whether it was consultants or printers or just you name it. 
And eventually this evolved, though. This turned into a Comic-Con business. And I'm very curious about that because, you know, in the 90s, living in the Northwest at least, Comic-Con was in San Diego. You know, Comic-Con was in Chicago. We didn't have really something out here that really spoke to that. Usually it was a weekend thing with a bunch of guys in boxes. It almost seems like you had the foresight to know that something like that could be a thing for people. Uh, I mean, what was it? What was your perception at that time trying to start a Comic-Con business looking forward? Well, what happened was in the early 90s when I started going to San Diego and the Chicago Comic-Con and a few of the other comic book shows out there, you basically had this real disconnect. You had a lot of people selling uh, comic books on tabletops. And it really wasn't an event. It was just a comic book convention. It was people selling comic books. It was old books. People were selling comic book art. But it really wasn't the culture of the comic books and the superheroes and the stories and the the movies and the television. And we were selling, at the time, hundreds of thousands of copies of the magazine every month. And we were reaching millions of people. And there was this disconnect between what was going on with the magazine world and what we were experiencing at the Comic-Con or the comic book show side of things, where you'd get thousands of people, but yet we were reaching millions of people a month. And the shows really didn't represent what was actually happening. And that's when I bought the Chicago Comic-Con and said, hey, we're going to do a real-life version of what we do in the magazine. We're going to reach out to the studios and the TV networks and the celebrities and the video game and toy companies and the comic book companies and the artists and writers and and really bring that whole pop culture element and that whole kind of world that we lived in together all in one place and that's really when it all came together what was the scene like then i mean today i've kind of started calling this the geek economy there's been an evolution it seems just especially within even the last decade the last two decades i mean what is the biggest difference that you've seen before versus now so the thing that we've seen before is that Back then, it was people who loved comic books and loved the characters and grew up on that. And it was really kind of, I would call like a lot of first generation people that, you know, it was the first time they were experiencing the comic books or the characters or the stories or the artists or the writers. And because we had the magazines and the events, it worked really, really well together because we can promote what we were doing. And we didn't have to be on television. We didn't have to be on the radio. We already had such a captive audience with the magazines um, and the local retail stores and things of that nature. Um, So back then, um, and then also being a geek or a nerd was also uh, one of these things where um, you were considered an outsider and people would get bullied and you were considered a loser or a loner. And people really kind of kept it to themselves you know that they were that even though there was this community that existed they were all kind of in it for themselves and kind of very quiet about it and it's taken now decades but now years later the people that grew up loving comic books and loving the characters all of a sudden they turned into the people that produced the movies or produced the tv shows or made the toys or made the games they you know and they're the ones that are controlling so much of the media today because the stuff that they liked all of a sudden started working and started getting audience and that's really what then turned into you know the love of superheroes on this global basis was all these people now that that now control you know all these amazing new projects out there and what you have today is 
th those people, um, you know, are doing all this amazing stuff. And what we did was we really helped, you know, in my opinion, we already, the characters were already cool, but it was the people who didn't, who were into it weren't cool. And, and I've spent almost uh, three decades now, you know, turning the geeks into the cool people out there. So now what you have is a, a system where it's actually cool to, to like superheroes. And also what you're seeing now is, you know, and we're experiencing here at Ace, is the fact that um, it's no longer about people who love comic books. It's about people who love superheroes. And so many um, people today have come to love these characters through the movies and the television. And it's all about embracing that culture now today. Do you feel that you saw that coming? I mean, back whether it was in the 90s or 2005, at some point, did you do you feel that you saw geek culture morphing into the dominant pop culture and almost wanting to line yourself up with that? I mean, did you have that foresight? Um, I think the answer is yes. You know, back, you know, certainly you could always kind of look at things in retrospect and say, yes, I was there. But but yes, I always, I, I never understood why people weren't into superheroes or they weren't into the characters. So in my mind, it was actually always there. And the world just kind of came to learn what, what we already knew, you know, 30 years ago. It just took people a long time for that to happen. But the people that, you know, we knew and we helped make it acceptable for the people who also knew to, to keep pursuing this interest that they had and knowing that they were on the right path and on the right track towards something that could be very uh, popular or that they could make a living out of it or they could turn their hobby into a profession. And they stuck with it all these years. And it was really kind of the might of everybody. But I think we were on the forefront of really helping people realize that it's actually okay to, to be that way. So that was then. This is now. Ace is, is not just something new. This is something unique. I don't think there's other comic conventions that are similar to this. I mean, it's, it's a comic con on one hand, but being here and experiencing it seems to be so heavily content driven. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that's not quite the experience you get at other comic cons, even with panels and so forth. So I guess uh, my main question for you here is just what is the Ace Comic Con difference? What are, what are you trying to do with this iteration of uh, content development and convention? I'm glad you noticed that, and you really can only notice that if you actually attend one of our events to know that we're creating a fairly and and really unique experience. Um, and because on the surface, someone thinks, oh, it's the same thing, or maybe it's this or it's that, but we're reinventing the future of this culture again because the first 25 to 30 years of my life have been about acceptance and being accepted out there. But now we've been accepted. You know, the geek world and the nerd world, we've been accepted out there. Superheroes are accepted out there. So now it's all about building community and being inclusive. And I feel like this world has become exclusive, meaning that you know, if you're not a comic book fan or if you're not part of this small group, uh, you can't be a part of that world. But yet now we have hundreds of millions of people around the world that love these superheroes. And we have to be embracing of them. We have to be accepting of them. We have to make them feel like they're part of this uh, incredible community. And what we did with Ace, my brother and I started this to 
create the future of Comic Cons and create the future of fan culture. And, you know, we had to start somewhere and we figured, hey, why not start with the biggest celebrities in the world? Otherwise, why bother? You know, if we can't get Chris Evans, if we can't get Josh Brolin, if we can't get Gal Gadot and Tom Hiddleston and Tom Holland and all these unbelievable talented actors that play our favorite superheroes, why else would we bother doing it? And so that's kind of the heart of what got us going. And to be able to create an event, it's not about being bigger. It's about being better. It's about creating, creating a more boutique experience. It's about making people feel like they, they're part of the experience, that they add to the experience, that they can contribute. So we have the biggest panels in the world, and people can ask questions of their favorite superheroes out there. And it's all about making people feel like they're part of it. And that's what you're starting to experience here, and people are starting to see it the more that we do. It, and not even just see it. I mean, you also say, you know, not about being bigger but better, but uh, Ace has exploded in a pretty rapid pace. It's still relatively young as a con. I think the first show was 2017, and this is the second time back to Seattle. One of the things that has fascinated me about this is that it is very content production-driven as opposed to just content presented i can go on youtube right now and find some ace shows that you guys are producing it's almost like your your own media house and you've done it all in-house because it's part of what you're doing anyway i don't think a lot of other conventions are doing that what exactly is the reason behind that approach why don't you think more other conventions are doing that well because what we do is is actually very expensive to do and the way we look at it is we're in the entertainment business uh, not in the just kind of, okay, the next show is coming up, let's just do it because we did it last year. We reinvent ourselves every single event that we do. We bring together casts or, or members of, of, of the community that, that people want to see or want to see together. You know, so we have, you know, at this show, we have uh, Chris Evans and Josh Brolin together you know, with Don Cheadle and, and Zoe Saldana and Jeremy Renner. You know, like, so two of them may not come back into the Marvel Universe and three of them will, right? So all of a sudden, you may never get to experience that again where they're all together. And what we want to do is present it in a way that, that, that the way people want to see it, you know, people want to be entertained. You know, they want to get it in a format and a presentation where they feel like they're part of something bigger and they feel like they're part of something that that we spent a lot of time and energy and money to do something that we love. And then they feel that they feel that we didn't just lay it out there, that we didn't just just, oh, it's, you know, three o'clock and we have to have a panel to fill a slot. You know, we don't have 10 program rooms going and whoever wants to do something. OK, you could do it. You know, we want it to be impactful. We want it to be something that feels special, that people that are there can tell their friends or show their friends and, and really have this, this, just this impact in their life. So last question, if I can stretch this out just a little bit longer, because there's one little factoid I came across that I find fascinating. You are a painter. You, you do use a specific type of like dot painting. I don't know if that's the technical term for it, but every little dot of paint creates a larger picture it's almost like a painting you want to step up and look closely to instead of just you know sitting back and taking it all in where did this come from is this a more recent development and 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 how do you describe what you do to other people 
Um, thank you for bringing that up because um, I'm very passionate about painting. I just started under five years ago, and uh, I thought I was going to be a writer, actually. And I found that I had these incredible stories to tell, but I didn't really have the discipline to physically write them. And, and then one day I discovered this process of painting, because I was really kind of doing a lot of introspection about um, you know, my life and the stories that I want to tell. And I was wondering how I could do that with paint. And that's really what I did. I came up with this idea for creating this texture where I drip paint on the, on the panels. I use wood because I use a lot of paint. And I put these drops and they're very deliberate. They're one at a time and they create these pretty intricate patterns. Um, and they take weeks to months to create and weeks to dry. And the colors that I use and the patterns that I do all tell a story. So I think in my mind, what are some of the things that I've been through and try to come up with a visual representation of that. And for a lot of people, they see really like nice colors and nice designs, but it really does resonate with people because of the stories that I'm telling. And I've been very, very fortunate to have a blessed life. So all my pieces are very positive and optimistic and they make people feel good. Um, you know, because if somebody wants to have that in their home or or own it, or display it, or show it, you know, I want them to feel good. It's okay to be happy. It's okay, you know, to feel blessed. And, um, you know, and then also for me, um, kind of the single thread through my whole life is all about connecting. And I just found that my art was a great way to connect with people. So it was a great way for me to tell stories and for people to interact with me. And, and then my art being you know, I can show it online, I could go to art fairs, and it just, it just became the center of a discussion between me and other people. And I just found that to be so incredible, just for me personally. How do you look at your own paintings versus how do you think people should look at them? Because like I said before, and I've only been able to see them online, I have not been able to go cross-country to your gallery, but uh, it really is dot by dot. And it is very intricate, and these shapes are very unique, and it's, I almost want to look at them like from an inch away, you know, versus and you could step back and see this whole other thing. How do you personally see them? Well, that, it's great that you feel that way because that's what I've noticed when I do my paintings. It depends on how the light hits it and the light, depending on how the light changes during the day, if it's out, you know, if it has sun accessible to it. Um, and people do, they go up to it because they know there's something interesting going on and they will, they'll put their faces right up to it just to see am I, what am I really seeing here. And I love that. I also love the fact that people uh, can interpret my paintings however they want to. You know, I find that I do them for myself, and people can see whatever they want in there. And that's, that's perfectly acceptable, because I can tell my own story, and then people could read my story and take whatever they want out of it, which to me is the greatest thing on Earth, because if you're a writer and you write a story out there, and you have an audience that takes multiple different things away after they read it, that's great because you've created a depth to it where somebody, each, peop, each person could take something else away from it. And I, I just love that. A very special thank you to Garib Seamus with Ace Universe. Ace has more events touring the country. The next one is the Midwest event in Rosemont, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago in October. 
They already got Brie Larson and Kit Harrington lined up for that one. And if you missed Ace Universe in Seattle just a few weeks ago, they freely post video of all their panels on YouTube. So you can see Chris Evans, Don Cheadle, Jeremy Renner, Deborah Ann Wall, and more. And if you missed Northwest Nerd's live recording on stage with After These Messages at Ace, check out our last special podcast for that. And now comes the time when I thank the Hoot Hoots for Northwest Nerd's awesome theme music. Stay in touch with us on social media, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and if you have a couple minutes, please give us a rating wherever you listen. It really does help, and we really do appreciate it. There is more summer specials coming in the weeks ahead. So until then, this is Dyer Oxley with Northwest Nerd. Northwest Nerd.